please feel free to uh, get your vocal faculties back in action again. Don't ask any questions you might have. I usually say, don't be shy at this point. Yes, there's one at the back there. My understanding is that um, of the good and bad deeds one does, thinking of them, their effects keep on multiplying, karmic, your effects keep on multiplying. So with the good deeds, it's okay. What about your bad deeds? If the if the effects are going to multiply despite thinking of it. Is there any way we overcome that? Uh, I'm not sure where you got that idea from. <laughs> that it's not really a, uh, a teaching of the Buddha because uh, um, it depends how you think. Because to reflect on our, our bad deeds, our unwholesome actions, um, can be extremely useful. When we recollect, um, just as Joseph was, was speaking last night, and, and I think we've all had that experience, when we uh, look back to the, the things that we've done that were hurtful or selfish or greedy or dishonest, then to, to bring that to mind and to recognize, that was really stupid. <laughs> uh, look, look at the consequences that came from that. Um, okay, that's painful to remember. Let's use that pain and help that to guide me uh, uh, for my current actions and my current choices. So far from being something that's unwholesome, it can be really useful. <laughs> if you think back to your unskillful deeds and think, yeah, that was great. Yeah, How can I do that again? Then, <laughs> it's really, that's really stupid. Um, similarly, we can think back to our wholesome deeds and think, yeah, I'm pretty special, really. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I mean, they, they, people do praise me, but, you know, it is deserved. You know, I, am, I am pretty wonderful, really. Then, a wholesome deed can become a cause for a lot of uh, misery and more stupidity. So, it's, it's, uh, uh, I, I do talk a lot about attitude, but because I feel it's, uh, that's a significant thing, is the attitude that we have towards the wholesome, the unwholesome, the neutral, that, that's what makes the difference. But I'm interested to hear what Joseph has to say. <laughs> I'm having a, a few thoughts as, as, as Ajahn was, was talking, but I think it's important to keep in mind that um, we're not, the path is not to accumulate as much as to learn from the past and, and both good and bad deeds, but as we move forward, it's to relinquish both. And I think in, in traditional Buddhism, say in Buddhist countries, the idea is the accumulation. So a, a lot of emphasis on uh, merit or punya, which I heard Ajahn Pasana recently in a, in a tape saying punya is another word for happiness. And we usually say merit, which is kind of an awkward English word like merit, demerit. And punya actually translated as happy because you see uh, a traditional Buddhist, and I mean Sri Lankan, Burmese, Thai, Cambodian, you know, so many that we have in, uh, in the West now is a wonderful example for those of us that didn't, haven't lived or grew up there, that punya is very special, but it's, it can either be to really giving and relinquishing of something, or it can be to accumulate. I want to, you know, go to a more heavenly state, 
but ultimately both good and evil, uh, good and bad, uh, need to be let go of because it's, it's about transcendence. But when we're on the kind of a level of, of measuring uh, that, then we, of course we want to chalk it up in the good column and kind of eliminate the bad column. And that's a good place to be, but then we start looking like Ajahn was saying, kind of humorously, that, that uh, you know, we get praise. So it's very easy for, for anybody, really, to, you know, whether it's a monk or a non-monk, uh, a monastic, non-monastic, to think uh, that they're somehow special. And, and so I have an in, 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 in myself, I have an awareness that when I feel good and praised, that and that's not always been that way to really look at that and say oh well that's wonderful i feel good but that's not really me it's something i'm a part of and i can be proud of it but not arrogant about it and uh, so maybe that gives a little perspective it's a very deep and it's worth contemplating and finding out for yourself yes you, you both emphasize um, heart to a great degree. Um, most, many if not most, teachers or interpreters speak of liberation of the mind, but you seem to also introduce a liberation of the heart also. I wonder if you could speak of chitta a little and, and how, and maybe why how it helps us to think in terms of heart, and why you use heart instead of mind. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, the in the the most common way that uh, the descriptions of someone's enlightenment is in the the suttas is uh, the um, the the word chitta or cheto is is used for that which is liberated. Their hearts were liberated. That's how it's described. Like I say at the Anatalakana Sutta, the uh, discourse on not self, the, the Buddha's first five companions, when they, they heard his teaching about not self, then uh, that's how it's described, that their hearts were liberated. So it uses the word you know, chitta or cheto. Uh, um, do, do some translate that as mind and not heart? Uh, they, some people might, you can translate that as, uh, okay. do translate that as mind. Um, the whole discourse is, I'm sure, numerous PhDs have been written about the difference between mano, chitta, and vijnana. So mano, um, which is, uh, say, technically, it's more the thinking faculty, the 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 mind, the, the, the kind of um, thought creator, the, the and the the conceptual thought um, aspect of mind, um, but. Uh, what is liberated is the chitta. So the chitta has a, a, like a, a, an unconditioned attribute to it. So that's um, because, and that, so that's, it's, you'd say the chitta is, uh, say, the embodiment or the, the, uh, the quality of awareness or awakened awareness that knows. Is, uh, these are attributes of the chitta. Whereas mano, the kind of mind, and usually vijnana, they're, they're much more the sort of particular activities, or like thinking, or, or discriminating, cognizing. So it's, it's like, uh, 
in the forest tradition, and particularly uh, teachings of the Lumpur Cha, Lumpur Sumato, they would always emphasize that there has to be some aspect of, of, uh, of awareness that is transcendent, otherwise liberation would be impossible. And that was Ajahn, what Ajahn Chah received from Ajahn Man, as one of the key insights in that Ajahn Chah was only with Ajahn Man for three days. It was a very short, impactful <laughs> stay. Uh, and one of the most the most powerful things that Ajahn Man said was that the, that which knows the five khandhas, the form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, uh, that is separate from them, like oil and water. And if it wasn't intrinsically separate, then liberation would be impossible. Because it is that it is separate, it's transcendent of it, therefore liberation is possible. So that's like a, a key feature of the forest tradition teachings. Um, so when uh, I put, uh, I'm not sure about Joseph, but when I use the word heart, then that's my sort of English shorthand for the chitta aspect of it. So it's not just the feeling side of it. Um, I mean, I can be pretty intellectual, but. Uh, <clears throat> but it, so the heart is not just in the the, the uh, representing the feeling rather than the intellectual element, but it's also representing that transcendent quality. So when you you have also words like vijja, uh, meaning knowing or awareness, or jnana, knowledge. There's also they they carry that same kind of transcendent quality, but in the, it, mostly in the teachings when they talk about. Uh, uh, someone being liberated, it's that the, the chitta, their hearts were liberated, the chitta was liberated. You're a heartful kind of a guy. Yes, you? yes, yes. No, I, I concur with Ajahn, and, the, and certainly in heart, that's how I use it. And maybe chitta should be one of those words we should be using more, because it, then we have a word, and then we start to feel it, just like kama, nibbana, whatever these, these words are that we have in Pali, because there are already so many in the English language, and I think it's certainly one worth considering for that. And I'm quite happy to use jitta. Uh, and Thai is just jit, it's short jitta. And I think Cambodian, uh, uh, Lao is jit. Uh, other um, languages have Pali as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a great word. And <clears throat> certainly that when you ask, say, well, ask, you know, Ajahn Podipala, whatever, where. The jitta is they don't do this you know they do this don't you ajahn yes and that's very important and and i think that's and so there's there's a, a distinction there i think maybe one way to to understand the distinction a little bit more is to to know that like i said it the other night something ajahn shared with me but thought you can't think you can think about nibbana you can think about these things but thinking isn't isn't the knowing, because remember, thinking comes and goes, and so therefore, to trust our thoughts is to trust anicca dukkha anatta. And something I like to say or to to use as a as a reflection is that if it if it has a nature of a just from the Buddha, if it has a nature of arising, then it has the nature of ceasing. So if it's coming and going. That ain't it. So what is it that can be aware? What is the knowing that can be aware of the rising and passing away? So we're 
deepening when I was was uh, first in in Thailand and and uh, with Ajahn Sumedho up at Tham Seng Pet in the very early years. He uh, he liked Zen and there was a Zen practice uh, in uh, called the Watto. Huato, I think Ajahn will probably remember it. And it's the it's the it's the place before the thought arises. And that made sense to me, not in an intellectual way, so that makes a lot of sense. So if you think about knowing, if you think, oh, I have the knowing, and then that knowing comes and goes, that's not it. So what is it that doesn't come and go? That doesn't arise and pass away. And we all have, that's inherent in us. And so and you can't think about it, you can't try to dig in, or, you know, I'm going to have a surgery, see if they can find this knowing inside myself. It's foolish. The other thing that I've, one other thing I'd like to say, and I think it's a great exercise, uh, a, a very senior uh, Thai monk, Ajahn uh, Jamnian, Jamnian, who I translated for several years out at Spirit Rock in uh, California. And he used to do this exercise, and I encourage you to try it. So he'd have people, he'd say, <clears throat> close your eyes and count within yourself 10 to 10, or you do it first with your eyes, I don't remember exactly, but count to 10 silently to yourself, very, very loudly, so your eyes are open and you just, in, in your own mind, you go, one, two, three, you know, just as loud as you can without making any noise. Stop, where do you feel that? Then with the eyes closed, I think was there, and I might, if I remember exactly, but it was something, and then with the eyes closed, and then he would, he would have people respond to where they felt it. And they usually didn't feel it here. It was, it was usually deeper, somewhere deeper. And so he would point, not that that, not that that was jitta, but you're getting closer to that word jitta. And he never faulted any of it. It was all, as far as, as he said, it's all, it, it's, it's all within the realm of possibility. But it's an exercise that you can kind of go a little deeper and and, fi and feel, because that's what it's about, really, is, is the feeling, like the, the Thai ba language being a language based on, on feeling, undercurrent of Warman's expression, so that deeper side of things, so, yeah. Another little uh, curiosity, that I know physiologically it doesn't have much of a foundation, but it's kind of interesting that in the, in the scriptures and the commentaries, the chief function of the brain is regarded as being the production of snot. <laughs> it's not considered to be have, have any kind of particular relationship to the mind. So, I, I, something tells me that they're just trying to put the brain in its place. <laughs> it's, it's a curiosity. So, I know there's a few doctors did, did and physiologists around here. But, uh, did I hear that right? Snot. Snot. Okay. As in, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you don't hear that teaching very often. No. <laughs> Not amongst Western <laughs> neuroscientists. <laughs> yeah, any from this side? Yes. Well, the, the word consciousness is used in English is used very, very loosely. Um, so when uh, Lumpur Sumedho uses the word consciousness, I would say yes. He uses the word consciousness as synonymous with the quality of, of uh, awakened awareness of the jitta. Most other people don't use the word consciousness in quite the same way. So if you're listening to a Lumpur Sumedho Dhamma talk, or reading one of his books, then that word consciousness is um, synonymous with that. Usually the word vijnana in Pali, it, like it's got two parts, vi and jnana. 
So jnana is the knowing part, then vip means like uh, partial or fragmented or, or separate in that, in that instance. So it means dis basically discriminative consciousness. So that usually vijnana in the, in the customary term and when it's translated as consciousness, it means that, that which discern or discriminates one thing from another at a very basic level. But um, uh, consciousness, again, if you talk to Western psychologists too, that they've got huge range of what they mean by the word consciousness. So it's one of those things that you have to get a sense for the context in which the way in which the word is being used there's a couple of places in the suttas where the word vinyana is used in uh, as a uh, very directly as a uh, expressing a quality of transcendent awareness and that these are passages that Lumposamed is very fond of quoting and they're interestingly enough they're both passages that relate to talking to brahma deities uh, the uh, <clears throat> one is the uh, called the invitation to a brahma and the other one is in the uh, uh, the Kevada Sutta, uh, in the Diganikaya, the discourse to Kevada. And the, 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 the phrase that's used is Vinyanang Anidasanang Anantang Sabato Pabang. Which, and, so vinya, the, uh, and that's describing the, the mind uh, of the Arahant. So uh, when the, the Buddha is talking about, uh, uh, say, the, so where where long and short and coarse and fine and pure and impure can find no footing, where those, those, the, the, um, the mind that discriminates and chooses the, uh, has no basis, has no, has no traction in the, the awakened mind. So he uses the word vijnana to describe that kind of uh, mind that is supremely detached and, and awake. And so in that phrase, which... Uh, Again, if you've read many of Lumposamedo's teachings, you'll come across him quoting that a few times. Vinyanang anidasana means uh, formless or non non manifest or without uh, without structure. Uh, anantang means limitless, infinite, uh, and then sabato pabang means either radiant in all directions or accessible from every side. It can mean both of those things. So the, the, uh, it's describing this kind of away, awakened awareness that is, um, has no form, it's, it's formless, it's infinite and radiant. And so that uh, that is uh, the only time that vijnana is explicitly used to describe that kind of liberated uh, yeah. awareness. We can have a whole retreat on the theme of consciousness. I think that's worthy of a handout. Yes, that, I can put absolutely. that on the list. Yeah. <laughs> You're scratching your head, not asking uh, a question. Uh, <laughs> Tony, Tony had his hand. Tony had his hand. Oh yeah, yeah. You can answer this one. Because I was just thinking about because the Buddha taught it, and because you you are teaching it. If I can put you in the same frame. It must be possible to make a difference as to how much of a moral conscience, or however you want to define it, you can cultivate. And what strikes me as perhaps the nub of this is what is likely to make the most difference over and above just being mindful and keeping the precepts, which are huge and worthy activities. But how do you sort of maximize the return on your investment? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> is it specific to individual people as to what they have to do at different points in time? How much of it is fixed at birth? How much of it can you blame your mum and dad? <laughs> because in the West, there's a lot of thoughts increasingly that we, we don't have as much control as mm -hmm. we think we mm -hmm. might have. Mm -hmm. However much you believe in neuroplasticity and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's slightly veering towards a reflection and a question, but any comments on that? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I think it's a very good question, uh, Tony, because there's, I think there's validity in all of it. And, and just spontaneously without thinking, um, I kind of see it, that, that, that maybe this is helpful is that to me in my personal healing that I don't want to uh, limit to just one particular thing. And certainly since leaving monastic life, for sure, I've done different modalities to help myself uh, understand and deepen that, of which I think all are important part. And so the tools that are available to us, so. I think medication, if it's appropriate, is, uh, is, 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 is one. Uh, therapy is one. Our practice uh, is with Buddha Dhamma is a big part of that. But I, the, the limitation might come if, if, if you or I say limit it. Well, I have to do it totally with this modality or that modality. And then it puts you and I in the driver's seat of, of choosing what is useful, what I want to uh, engage in to, you know, understand. I'm a very firm believer in that uh, our uh, history that, that we have to know, and a believer because this is what's proven true for me. So revisiting the traumas of, of this life, uh, my life, from things from childhood, uh, things from uh, the military, and, you know, all the way through monastic life, and it has been, say Vietnam, for example, is easy, is little is easiest to talk about, maybe understand. So the trauma that I've experienced, I know isn't just Vietnam, but I know it's a big piece of it. So I'm not one to that wants to hide that away. I want to know, in fact, and, and so some, some people don't want to remember the, their trauma. But I'm one who feels that it's absolutely critical to remember as much as possible. It's like I have to go back and relive all of that. There's therapies and modalities for that. But that it's best to my ability to be able to revisit it and, and feel. Because sometimes I'll think like uh, Vietnam especially. Uh, and I've had it with Ajahn in, in this, this one thing I came across, this, uh, the, the uh, blue eyes and saffron robes that I was actually the abbot at Nana Chat, and I'm here, in the, and, and, and Ajahn Amaro was just a novice monk, so we're both very young. It's a, and it's I'm, a film, it was a yeah, documentary film. Yeah, it was a, made, made in Ireland, but an Irish priest came and like filmed one day. I have no recollection of this, absolutely none. I see it, I know it's me, I know it's him, but it's, it's one of those things that I don't recollect. So I have a lot of things in Vietnam, I can remember an exact scene of combat like the one I was describing, but I don't remember what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. I can't like go back and grab that feeling. And I'm not like uh, neurotic about trying to find it, but at least revisiting it enough 
to to say, okay, I feel I have you know a, a handle on this and a, and a better sense of it. So perhaps that's 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 useful. I just wanted it to be spontaneous rather than to try to to think it. You know, talk about my own kind of journey with these things. And uh, so it, it's don't don't maybe the bottom line is don't limit yourself, but also don't you have to be careful what you invest your your trust your confidence faith if you will in because I think people can put too much faith in medication or in a therapist or in in any of those modalities and so it's uh, maybe the middle way with all of them. I don't know if any therapists in the in the, in the group would. Uh, would would agree, but uh. I think the um, one of the, the things that I find most powerful and, and helpful about Buddha Dhamma is the element of personal responsibility and personal choice. I'd say, in terms of hiriyotapa and your own sort of natural moral sensitivity, I think a certain amount is karmic. That it depends whether you go along with the idea of past lives and uh, whether it's just you think in terms of genetics, but uh, Personally, I've never had a problem with the idea of numerous past lives and future lives and so on. That's always, as soon as I came across the idea when I was about seven years old, I think, oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> so I've always been happy with that uh, idea. So uh, certainly there is, there's a bit of a difference with you know, the, the, the hand that you're dealt with uh, at birth. So some, uh, some beings might be spiritually very mature. And so in, the, in Buddhist psychology, if you have a, a lot of spiritual maturity, say uh, you're someone who's developed a lot of spiritual qualities in previous lives, then you have a, a, a lot of hiriyotapa from the, from the get-go. So I would interpret say, what Joseph was saying last night from when he was a young child, that sense of not wanting to, to hurt anything or to be violent, that that's probably a lot of a good... Uh, the good comer from past lives that has sort of resonating through into the presence, uh, into the present, and and <clears throat> when the, the, your 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 school friends are uh, busy frying ants with magnifying glasses, you're gonna you forgot go, about oh. that one. Huh? I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, something and you go, oh, I don't want to do that. That's horrible. So um, that's how I tend to to uh, to see things um, that we do have a, a certain amount of preconditioning from past life experiences the family that we're born into the the age the era you know if you're born into a war zone you know, then that uh, it's very very different than when you're born into a very sort of benign period I was born in 1956 so the, the post-war period of, of the UK um, probably about same sort of time as, as yourself. Um, and uh, so as a childhood in that era is very different than a childhood where the, in London where the Blitz is going on. Um, but I feel one of the great strengths and what, I, what really drew me to Buddha Dhamma in the beginning was the fact that we always have a choice regardless of whether you're in a very blighted, difficult situation or one that's got a, a lot of blessings. It's, it's always your choice. And that's, so there's a lot of personal responsibility that's involved there, but also a personal potential. Even if you've got dealt a really rough hand, <laughs> that it's a really difficult circumstances, or you've got a lot of um, uh, afflictions to deal with, either from your own health or the situation around you, or your parents can't deal with having children, or 
you're born into a time of war. Um, there's always choices that we can make, moment by moment, day by day, and that uh, and those choices make a difference. And so that um, even if you uh, don't have a uh, say a, a strong sense of hiriotapa, or that's not something that's, that's obvious to you, it's something you can develop. Uh, it's something that that can be can be built. On a, a previous retreat here a year or two ago, um, we're talking about sila and. Uh, I don't know if the person's on this retreat right now. I can't remember uh, his name, but he was saying how he was you know, at, uh, in terms of honesty. He said, "You know, I've, uh, I, I really see the see the shortcomings of carrying out all the shady deals I was doing, <laughs> and that I see that uh, the anxiety I had in my life was a lot to do with worrying that the law was going to catch up with me." So I see that. But he said, "But it's really hard because um, you know when I was a child." My mother and my grandmother taught me how to cheat. And uh, if if the person's here, do excuse me if I'm using your story uh, inappropriately. But I'm, I thought it was a very very good example. And he said, you know, my mother told me how if I bought a shirt from a from a, a shop and I didn't like it, uh, how to pull some threads out and take it back and say, look, this is damaged. I you know I want another one. And he said, my mum taught me how to do that. Yeah, my mum taught me how to cheat, and her mother taught her. So um, it's a bit difficult, Ajahn. <laughs> but I thought it was a really beautiful and powerful conversation. That he, he said, "I can't get the feeling that it's wrong. I've got the idea, but because that's what I got from my mum, something in me says, yeah, but I mean, it's all right, really, isn't it?'" He said, "And I, but something is telling me, no, it's not." <laughs> and so I, I thought that was really uh, skillful that. The conditioning was from was was towards dishonesty, from what his mentors and his sort of those who are his sort of moral guides, his, his family. But there was that little voice inside that said, "Hang on a minute," <laughs> and was able to listen to that, so that uh, that person had enough kind of um, uh, spiritual sensitivity, if you like, to recognize I'm, there's something I need to learn here. That my conditioning is is one thing, but I don't have to follow that. I don't have to defend my mum or follow that way. I can love my mum and not do what she advised. <laughs> Aha! And uh, and so I, that's where that's what I mean. We always have a choice. Sometimes we prefer not to have a choice, <laughs> and we like to say, "Well, it's not my fault. It's just the the family or the my genes or the conditioning. If if, I, if only I was someone else, it would be different." Yeah, but uh, I feel one of the strengths and also one of the challenges of Buddha Dhamma is that saying, well, yeah, you 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 know you can blame your genes or your upbringing or uh, the government, <laughs> but in this moment, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And so that, uh, and it's it's also uh, one of the things to say about Hiriyotapa is that the more, at least according to Buddhist psychology and my own experience of of things. That the more spiritually sort of advanced someone is, the more the stronger the hiriyotapa is. So Ajahn Chah once made the comment: he "said If you offered me a million baht to kill an ant, I couldn't do it." You know, in that time, a million baht was a lot of money. <laughs> he said, "You could offer me a million baht, you know, a billion, and I couldn't do it. Like the hand would not, could not go to 
to to kill the creature. And they say like an arahant can't tell a lie, like that the tongue can't form the words. Like, <laughs> I'm not an arahant, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can still lie if I need. <laughs> but uh, that um, that kind of the natural buffering that that comes the more that one is the heart is attuned to, to dhamma. It's not it's not a forced thing, but it. Uh, it comes naturally, so that that's why, in, according to the scriptures, an, an arahant can't can't kill anything. They can't tell a lie. They they have uh, celibacy is is uh, not an effort. They have no interest in engaging with other beings in a, a sexual way. And it's impossible to tell a to uh, tell a, a, a lie or to take something that is not uh, given to them. So that it's like it just it just doesn't happen. Like you know, water doesn't flow uphill. It's just the, if a, a being is attuned, so that that hiriotopa is not something that is sort of necessarily being applied by will, but it's a, it's a uh, an arising from the heart's attunement to to dhamma. Okay. Um, yes, Pushpa. Yeah. Going back on the same topic, um, recently I happened to uh, watch some. Um, keep the fork off the plate or the knife off the plate, that kind of uh, cruelty to animals and humans. And I was crippled, even though I watched it to to know. It's, it's just, I couldn't deal with it for a while. I was so down and depressed because I wasn't taking any action to stop anything like that. Um, so I think it came to a highest point that um, I needed to get some help to deal with it by talking to others in my family. Um, it's just how the, the meat comes <coughs> to the table, you know, that kind of thing. So coming back on Heliotopa, uh, the bad topic, I think that's really hurt me at that time. Not that it doesn't hurt me at the moment, but I have overcome it a little bit. Um, but I feel I'm not doing much about it. Mm. Oh, it's, it's a it's a good observation, but it's also um, one of the aspects of compassion. And what I was saying about you know otapa or see, seeing the kind of harm being done to other creatures, when it's 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 important if you cultivate that, we're not taking it personally, because if it turns into I'm an awful person because I don't care about this, I should you know I I should care more, I should do this, I should do that, all those I's and shoulds are actually cramping that sympathy, that the, the way the heart is attuning to, say, the way the food gets to the table, as it were. That the, all of the um, that sort of self-view and self-criticism and, and uh, agitation in the heart that is uh, arising on account of that, that in a way obstructs or confuses that natural uh, sympathy, that, that, that kind of um, beautiful response. And so that uh, in recognizing that that sense of, oh, right, of course, you know, I should, that would be good to remember. Yeah, I forget that. And to then uh, allow that, that sense of, of, of uh, acknowledging the situation, acknowledging how things work, but not turning it into a guilt trip or like, I'm an awful person because. Uh, because it then it, it, we're very good at this as human beings, particularly in the West. We're very 
uh, self-hatred comes very easily <laughs> and uh, our culture pushes uh, us towards that but uh, rather like with Hiri, that sense of remembering something unskillful that we've done you know, harming others or stealing things or dishonesty or whatever it might be that it's, it's a use, it's a good pain if we put it to work in the right way, if it turns into I'm an awful person, I can never be forgiven, I should be punished, I'm a, you know, my, my uh, sins are unforgivable, then that theory has been warped and, and turned into a, a, a cause of self-view and suffering. So one of the things that uh, we're interested in, in doing with this retreat and exploring these themes is not increasing self-view. <laughs> self-hatred and more things to worry about, more things to feel bad about, <laughs> more things to feel I'm not doing enough of, or, but rather to learn how to develop Hiriotapa without self-view, without having an I and me and mine sort of <laughs> sliding in and taking over, you know, kind of climbing in the, the windows and, and co-opting, um, because then rather than Hiriotapa becoming a, a, a powerful spiritual presence, and a liberating presence, it becomes a cause of more dukkha, and something that that can be very, um, uh, say, ennobling and powerful. Is the you know a, the bright protectors, not the the crushing protectors. <laughs> that it's a uh, it's uh, to to see how we can use that sensitivity, that care for our own being, the the care for other beings to acknowledge the impact that our lives have on others and how uh, and the recognition of the life that we share together how to appreciate that without creating more suffering and, uh, and more pain because often what happens is that the more we create self-view around those qualities then the more we just react against them we just want to go numb like i just want to stop thinking about it i'll just <laughs> you know <clears throat> you know, we, when we find ourselves reacting against it, pushing it away, or or, or making things even worse. But, um, I remember when uh, when Master Hua came to to the UK in the late eighties, or it was eighty nine or nineteen ninety, and he gave a, a a public talk in London, and um, and he was talking a lot about vegetarianism. And this is talk and you know caring for for other beings, and um, one of the people who's a, a very uh, um, committed uh, sort of supporter of Amravati and a very regular student, he said, you know, I, I took it all so personally. I immediately went out to a hamburger. I went to, <laughs> but uh, I just uh, I can't stand this. And he said, I just found myself going straight out of the Dhamma teaching into a you know, into Burger King. Or, you know. <laughs> but, it was just I can't deal with this. Uh, I, you know, I feel so awful. I have to go eat a hamburger, <laughs> which has made absolutely no sense rationally at all. But it was just like. <laughs> so I thought that was a really good example when we, when we handle hiriotapa in an unskillful way. When we, we make it personal, then it just increases our suffering, or we we make more complications out of it. If we l learn to understand it and work with it skillfully. Then it becomes a powerfully liberating quality. It's very, it's a, it's the, 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 the bright protectors, not the, the, the hammer of punishment. You know. <laughs> Do you have any 
I just brief. It just came just at the last moment there that that's so important because of the conditioning in the West, especially with theistic type teachings, that it's kind of is hammered into us that we should feel bad, guilty, that we're you know, original sin, if you will, and that's not a you know disrespect to you know Christianity or any other faith, but that psychology can have a really deep, deep aspect, and I think that psychology can set in from a very young age, and I think no one's immune of, from that, and which is part of conditioning. Uh, so to rise up out of that uh, is, is, takes genuine effort, because so we're, we're really, we're kind of reprogramming the system, and which is absolutely possible. And uh, because we're here, I would argue to say that we have a better chance than most, because it's that, that what, what is it that brings us here in the first place?